It's time for Tupelo Tom and Big Lou talking. And now, here's Tupelo Tom and Big Lou. I'm Tupelo Tom. And I'm Big Lou. And we're talking. We did that live, Tom, in uh, Illinois. That's the first time I think we've been together and and done that live. Those lucky people. They were, and the faces of uh, many of them stunned into silence by who exactly we were and what we were talking about. Because there, and we're going to talk about this later, we'll talk about uh, the Illinois Festival. Uh, a lot of new faces. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of new, a lot of new faces on some of the uh, the old fans too. But that's just the work they had done recently. But still, there were a lot of new faces, a lot of new people uh, there in the audience, and had never experienced that before. And I would have to say, everybody had a really good time. And, and Tom, I'm I'm wondering seriously, are these new Elvis fans, or are these Elvis fans that didn't know there was an Elvis world? I'm an Elvis fan who had no idea there was an Elvis world. And it, it has been fantastic to find out about this Elvis world because I thought I knew everything about Elvis and realized I was basically a kindergartner. Is that how you would say that kindergartner in kindergarten? Anyway, um, kindergarten, kindergarten, German, German meaning in the garden. We go Schwarzenegger right off the top, right? <laughs> but yeah, it, it, and to find out all these people, 70% of the house, we'll talk about, like you said, we talk about Illinois, had never been to an event. And and I think we're finding all the Elvis fans are coming out of uh, the corners and the closets and the bedrooms going, I'm an Elvis fan too, I promise, you know. Yeah. Well, it's one of the things about Elvis there, that he has fans. Yes. But I think this, and I, but I also too, I think, uh, I think the movie has had a lot to do with the younger people. Yeah. Uh, younger, younger people. I mean, the kids that were dancing in the aisles that were six and seven years old that were just experiencing the music of Elvis and obviously had fallen in love with him in the last year due to something. And I'm going to attribute that to Austin Butler and Baz in the movie. And so the energy that Elvis had in the fifties is brand new today. It really is. It, it's shocking to see how into Elvis the the literally the kids yeah. are, and and too for for families for grandmothers who have loved Elvis, um, they're discovering those young people are discovering that he's not just their grandmothers or their mothers that they can they can find they have found a a route into the music and life of Elvis and that story of that movie and that story of his life is a cautionary tale, as we say in Hollywood. Yes. Uh, it's something to, to learn from and to find out that that man was generally regarded as the best at what he did, and yet everything didn't save him. So I think that's a that's a tale told through time, and it's going on right now in music and, and, and entertainment and things like that. So I think it's something that we'll continue to find. And I also have to attribute it also because I, you know, I went out driving. I always try to find antique stores, Jeff, when I go to these festivals. Mm -hmm. And I'm on my way to the St. Clair Antique Mall. They're just outside of Collinsville and driving down the road, see a little billboard with Elvis Presley's picture on it. And it says Illinois Elvis Festival. And I'm like, there you go. Cody's out there advertising. (laughs) So maybe it was all the billboard. I hope so. Yeah, it might have been all. Well, he had a lot of billboards, so it might have been one of those. So we'll talk about Illinois on later. We're going to talk about coming up a date with Elvis, some some dates in history with Elvis, and some birthdays in the Elvis world. We'll preview uh, not only review Illinois, but we'll preview uh, Arkansas and Tupelo 
coming up in this exciting episode. But one of the big subjects I wanted to talk about this episode is as we are um, talking about the month of June within this episode of Talkin', uh, I want to talk about the comeback special because Singer Presents Elvis, because June of 1968 is the month it was produced, even though everybody knows about it, that December 3rd air date. So think about it. First of all, Elvis is sitting on that since June, the very end of June when they shot it. So July, August, September, October, November, five and a half, five months and three days to air is what they were waiting on it to air. So he knew what he had done, but like everything in showbiz, you have to wait until the viewers and the critics make up their mind if it's good or not. And of course, Tom, there's that famous story where Steve Bender takes Elvis down to sunset and, and the guys are, wait, wait, <laughs> need security. And I was, no, hang on a second. And they go down and nobody recognizes Elvis Presley. And at the time, I guess he, he looked incredible. They just got back from Hawaii. I think he, he was tanned up and looking amazing and nobody knew who he was. And, and, and the story has it that Elvis was kind of going, no, I'm really Elvis Presley. Nobody cared. Um, supposedly that happened. Uh, I know Bender's office was right there on sunset. I can't imagine that, you know, there wasn't a few hippies that knew who, who Elvis was. Right. Um, but you know, it's kind of the, uh, the line from, uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. Yeah. That's it. Uh, supposedly in real life, the conversation that Elvis had with Steve when he was meeting him, uh, and he asked about where's my career, Bender said, in the toilet. Uh, that conversation in the movie very dramatically takes place at the Hollywood sign because that's a heck of a lot more dramatic in the symbolism than being in a wood paneled office in Hollywood, you know, on, on Sunset Boulevard, which is where it kind of really happened. So the movie, you know, took a little liberty with that. The thing that's so amazing when you look at the timing of this special, which uh, much like the Jungle Room was not called the Jungle Room when Elvis was alive, World War II was not called World War II during <laughs> World War II, only afterwards. Uh, the comeback special was not called the comeback special until afterwards. And Elvis really didn't like that because he didn't think he'd been anywhere. That was that was, he was not an oldies act in his words. Uh, to come back from something. Uh, so he just saw it as another extension of his career. But the singer presents Elvis when it was produced in June of 68, the, the movies that had just come out into theaters were things like Speedway had was had just come out the beginning of June. So Speedway's playing down the street on Sunset Boulevard and no one's going to see it. And Stay Away Joe had opened earlier in 68, and no one went to see it, hardly had any music in it. Clambake had come out in late uh, 67, and that was the one, and I think you you would talked about it to me, I think as it was off camera, uh, or off off podcast, whatever you say, <laughs> that, what do you say? I don't even know what, off mic. Alex, what do I say? Off, <laughs> off mic? Off mic. Let's do that, yeah. Off mic. Okay, off mic. Um, <laughs> Alex Mitchell, our producer there, who tells us all the new technical terms. Um, I'm not used to working without a camera, so I have three cameras on me right now in, in my home in, in Tupelo. They're not hooked up or anything. They're just cameras. <laughs> but you had said that Clambake was kind of the epitome of everything that didn't work in an Elvis movie right. was finally coming to a head. That June performance of Elvis on stage in front of a crowd in both the sit-down and the stand-up portion of the show 
is Elvis's first appearance live on a stage since March of 1961 in Hawaii when he did the benefit for the USS Arizona Memorial. So it had been eight years since he had been live on a stage. In fact, Priscilla told me when we were doing the 50th anniversary celebration of the 68 special in 2018, those are easy to remember. Those zero anniversaries are easy to remember because it's got the same number in the back end of it. So 2018 was the 50th anniversary of the 68 comeback special. She said that was the first time she'd ever seen Elvis perform. Wow. Think about that for a second. (laughs) Think about that. That was the first time she'd ever seen him in front of an audience. Oh, my goodness. And they've known him since the Army. And, you know, I guess Colonel Parker forgot to sell and give out tickets. So the day of the filming, Steve Bender had to go out and just find people. Hey, want to come watch Elvis perform? Yeah, and I think that was a little uh, of the passive-aggressive of Colonel Parker saying, all right, Bender, let's see what you can do with no audience, you know. Uh, I'm sure it was going to be spun in some way. Hey, Elvis, your guy over there didn't even get tickets out to people. What, yeah. What's the story with that guy? I, you know, I love Colonel Parker and I hate Colonel Parker, just like everybody in my life. Um, <laughs> Colonel Parker's an interesting guy, and he was not a fan of Bender because he couldn't control Bender. He he wasn't someone that Bender was intimidated by. And Elvis liked Bender because he was talking to Elvis as an artist. So he knew there was something important that Elvis could do with this special Colonel Parker had sold, as we see in the Elvis movie, what is true in the Elvis movie is it had been sold as a Christmas special and uh, hopefully a Christmas album. What was unusual was at that time on television, there were always TV specials with, with actors and singers, usually holiday specials, but it was usually Petula Clark and five other people or Bing Crosby and six other people. It was never one person their special Hmm. at Christmas time. And this was Elvis pretty much by himself. And think about this. And this is something as I read over stuff to, to prepare for this, that 68 special was constructed in a way that, that told Elvis's story, really the guitar man. It told the story, not exactly of a guy who started playing guitar and started playing in clubs and bars and and that that was Elvis's story and then Nothingville and all those things and how the gospel portion is a portion of his life and his guys that sit down on the stage with the guys is a portion of his life the camaraderie he had with his with his band and his and his friends all of that telling the story concluding with what Colonel Parker at least hoped would be a Christmas song if I can dream and that was Elvis making his statement and one of the only political statements he really ever made because unlike uh, celebrities today who tell you you're not good enough to be their fan if you don't agree agree with their ideology, <laughs> uh, Elvis didn't care for you to know what he believed. He wanted you to enjoy his music and his movies. And so this was a breakthrough special, I think, in, in how it was put together, how it was filmed. And it was in June that he recorded a lot of the songs with live musicians in a recording studio and then went back and and sang on stage lip syncing some songs but singing live other songs the most of the stand up is live music uh, there's a band and an orchestra there in the studio and Elvis is singing live that's a lot of pressure too when he hadn't done it since 1961 and i guess Elvis was so into the special he actually lived yeah yeah or stayed at his dressing room and uh, I love what I'm about to say because I feel so fortunate that, that we were friends with DJ Fontana. 
And I remember him telling me that they actually jammed that whole week mm-hmm. that I was just sit there and pull the guitar out and they would just play. Yeah. He had, he had been doing that in the dressing room with the guys, with the mafia and Bender had seen it and said, there needs to be a way. Can we shoot in the dressing room? And Colonel Parker did not want that because that was not exactly the look that you're trying to convey in a primetime special. Basically, they created what is MTV later called Unplugged yeah, with just musicians sitting around and playing. And they talked to Elvis about it, and he didn't really have anybody there besides Charlie that was a musician amongst the guys. And uh, he said, you get me uh, you get me Scotty and DJ. And Scotty and DJ were flown out. They didn't know they were going to be in this thing. They were living their lives. I think Scotty told me he hadn't seen Elvis since they had done a session like in 63 or 64 or something. They, uh, Scotty had gone back to work for Sun Recording. I mean, he was an engineer. So this special not only brought those two guys back into Elvis's life, but they immediately fit back into the glove where they had been before. They Everybody just picked it right back up where they left it off. And they had prepared things for Elvis to talk about, but they pretty much, as, as he does in the thing, they just kind of lose the list and just talk about whatever they talk about. I love how he kind of makes fun of the script as he's reading it. The guys <laughs> will talk about this and blah, blah, blah. Elvis will then talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, totally speculative on my part, but this was after Elvis met the Beatles mm-hmm. in California. Yeah. And, you know, the Beatles are at the top of their game that, you know, the music world is changing, the summer of love, all these things. And I, I wonder if maybe that night, if Elvis didn't think, man, this has to change. Yeah. You know, these new guys have walked in here and they're the happening thing. And if it was only an hour meeting, but if that somehow may have influenced Elvis to want to change, I, I, I'd, I'd love to, to ask him that. <laughs> I, I think I, you know, you could probably go back and look at the record charts from the months leading up to June of 68 to see where Elvis's career was and to see where the Beatles career was. And talking about stupid facts that I retain in my head uh, and have the only job that that's suitable for, um, during when Elvis was uh, d- was working on this uh, comeback special in June, the Beatles were recording uh, Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except for Me and My Monkey. They were recording the White Album as Elvis was working on the 68 mm. comeback special. Wow. So they had a little bit of a project going on, too. <laughs> right. You know, that was one thing about the movie that I love so much, the Baz's Elvis movie, was how it made the 68 comeback special as hip as it was when it came out. Yeah. It was just so cool, the way it built up into it, and um, how great Elvis looked. And is there anything he could have wore that would have been cooler than that black leather? Well, the 68 comeback special, the Singer Presents Elvis special, uh, is the production that he met Bill Ballou on. Oh, wow. Um, Bill Ballou was a, was a costume designer and worked with Elvis and talked to him about clothes and things like that. And if you notice the pattern, and this is a thing we talked about at the 50th uh, anniversary with Steve Bender, and we had Alan Bly, who was one of the, the writers on the 68 special who uh, I was excited to meet because he had written the Andy Williams show. When I was a kid, the Andy Williams show was like the coolest thing in the world. Uh, And he was the bear uh, in the show. He was the guy that put the bear suit on. Anyway, (laughs) that was a big deal for seven-year-old me. Uh, Not in 18 when I wasn't seven years old, but 1967, Tommy would have been very impressed. I met Alan Bly. But we had also Billy Goldenberg, the music director uh, that worked on TV specials and movies, but met Elvis and worked with him on this. This put Elvis in 
touch with a lot of West Coast creatives that he would have never met working on movies. And the Bill Ballou connection in talking with Elvis, that that leather outfit symbolized the 50s. It was the motorcycle jacket updated for 1968. And if you look at the design of the pockets on the 68 black leather jacket, that's also mimicked in the maroon gospel outfit and the white If I Can Dream outfit. It all has the basic same pocket and button design. They're all three versions of the same jacket. Wow. And that was important for Bill Ballou. And think about this. So we're we're looking at the June of 68 as Elvis is working with Bill Ballou on costumes for this special. And he's going to open in a, in a year in Vegas. And so he goes back to Bill Ballou to say, I need some outfits for Vegas. They come up with the two-piece Cossack outfit. And Elvis hates that on stage because it was a pull-down shirt tied with a belt with pants that were falling and the jacket was riding up. So he said, we got to do something else. And Bill Ballou's the one that came up with, in, in for the early 70 in, engagement, the jumpsuit. Mm. And that was Bill Ballou. He met him on this, the 68 comeback special. Billy Goldenberg was a music director that really didn't know Elvis's music. And he went down to Tower Records on Sunset and bought all of Elvis's records. And he's the one that put these medleys together. The gospel medley, that was Billy Goldenberg that found those songs, that put those songs all together. Um, and Elvis really said never had a note on anything. He, he was so excited to work on something that was challenging him that he let these people do what they did best. And he did what he did best, know what was right for him. And I know we were talking about possible things to have on upcoming podcasts. And one of those was... Um, talking about my top five or top 10 moments of anything I've ever hosted at Graceland. Um, and I'll give you a quick preview and maybe spoil it. The number one moment I've ever had on stage was being able to talk to Billy Goldenberg. He was the absolute most wonderful storyteller, the nicest man I've ever met, and absolutely blown away to hear applause for music he wrote 50 years before. Well, Tom, I, I hate to put you in this position, uh, but I'm as a fan of yours, as a fan of Elvis's, what was Steve like to talk to? Uh, Steve Bender, great recall, uh, very smart, very technical. He and I got along as producers. We were talking about different things, about techniques, about shooting techniques. And I asked, I was asking him about the lighting because at the time in 68, the lights that you had to use for video cameras, you had to pump a lot of light on a set. So, hey, let's put Elvis in leather. That's a great idea. <laughs> It would be totally different these days uh, with the amount of light. Um, a really good storyteller and had such great stories because all these people that were around Elvis that one time, especially on a project that was, you know, this was three or four months in production, but it's not, it's not watered down by other memories interfering with that. He didn't work with them again in 69 and 72 and 74 and 76, where all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, wait, did that happen in 72 or in 68? He knows if he's having a conversation with Elvis when it happened. It happened in that window of the summer of 68. Mm. That's when it happened. And so he was very good at, and it was also very good at hearing Elvis's interaction with the other people, with the musicians. They were you know, the session guys from the West Coast, all these songs are recorded with the Wrecking Crew, and you can look them up and see what their history is and the songs they played on. They're all impressed by Elvis's musicianship. 
Um, Mike Deasy, who was a guitar player I've interviewed before, he's going to be back at Graceland in August, and he'll we'll be talking about these sessions with Elvis in the studio where he was kind of just blowing the the musicians away with what he could do with his voice. So he was being challenged. Elvis was being challenged and rose to that. And that's the part that I think is wonderful. And the, the fact that he made friends with people almost instantaneously who respected his talent and, and a few like Bill Ballou, he kept that relationship going till the end of his life that was designing his, his wardrobe personal wardrobe and and stuff on stage and to think june of 1968 they start filming the singer christmas special august 1st of 1969 he's on stage at the international yeah what a 14 months yeah and i mean that's to me this is the beginning of the uh the zip and pippin going back up the incline yeah uh the career is at the bottom of the incline and the the preparation for the 68 special creatively is clicking that zip and pippin car up the hill and just when it gets to the top just ready to go over the top it's december 3rd 1968 on nbc the special airs elvis turns around to the camera and says you're looking for trouble and that's when it headed straight down into the most creative part of his career since 54 because like you said the uh Special happens on air uh, December of 68, uh, January of 69. He's at American Sound recording, you know, Don't Cry Daddy and Suspicious Minds and Kentucky Rain and In the Ghetto. Wow. Summer of 69, he's back on stage and he's opening in Vegas. And the biggest theater in Vegas, 2,000 seats when the average theater was 700 seats. Amazing. So that started. And I think the interesting thing, too, and looking at the timeline, um, with the special shot over two days with a live audience, he did sit down, two sit down shows and two stand up shows. Um, the special gets shot by uh, they're they're finished with it on June 29th, and a week later he heads to Arizona to shoot Charo. So I'm assuming, much like a lot of ETAs I know, Alex, um, when the, when you're not working, I guess it's just mandatory that you grow your beard. <laughs> so I'm thinking the. Probably the last day of shooting, Elvis stopped shaving to get that Charo beard ready for uh, Arizona for for being on location for that Western. <laughs> I guess I don't know how it works because mine's not the color of anything I'd want to, you know, my, gray doesn't really gray. You you know, when you're Alex's age, Jeff, yeah, you look so cool when you have a little stubble. It's got it's that, you know. Crockett and Tubbs, you know, Don Johnson things. Very cool. So you're saying gray is not the new black? <laughs> well, when 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 you're our age and you have like seven or eight days of stubble, you, you look like you should be on Skid Row. <laughs> right. We look furry. Yeah, it, we just look sad. We just look very, very sad when we have stubble. I mean, we have to go. It has to be, I'm clean shaven and then you don't see me and then I come back and I'm Santa Claus. It can't be anything other than that. Are you saying we don't look like Elvis from Charo? <laughs> Maybe Charo's, you know, Churro, ch- ch- Churro's. Maybe that was the part we we misread the script. Maybe Charo part ninety three we would have been in. Um, where Charo, Charo, it's the exciting episode where Charo tries to get on a horse. That'll that'll be an exciting episode. That would take the two hours of the film time for me to get on a horse nowadays. <laughs> so you know, I, I I think this special deserved being talked about. Um, I love that um, uh, one of the moments. Uh, with Billy Goldenberg on stage uh, when we're talking about that, that he was working with Elvis and he had all his guys around him. 
And on stage, he was telling the story about he, he went up to Elvis and he said, is there any way that we could not have your guys around because they're interfering with your focus? He said, Tom, there was a guy, I'll never forget the way he looked at me. One of Elvis's guys heard me talking to Elvis, like, you don't talk to Elvis one-on-one. <laughs> and he said, that man's name was Joe Esposito. And he said, Tom, and Billy's like 81 when he's telling me this story. He goes, Tom, that guy, Joe Esposito. He, and then he stopped and he went, Tom, I should have asked you before I started telling this story. Is Joe Esposito still alive? <laughs> and I said, no, no, Billy, he passed away a, a short time ago. He goes, oh, whew, okay, okay. Well, then I'll, then I'll tell you. He was still scared of Joe Esposito. <laughs> Telling the story. Oh, five foot six of him. Well, Billy was like five four. So uh and weighed like a hundred. And and um Elvis got the guys out of there and he had complete Elvis loved that that those that that those creatives, Steve and Billy and everybody, were challenging him and saying, Elvis, you can do this. You can do this. And he was nervous. I mean, you can tell those first moments when he walks out on stage, if you know what take to look at. You can see him, oh, here we go. Not exactly the most confident. And then the minute he opens his mouth, it's like, okay, I'm okay now. I'm back. So that's just a few stories about the the 68 comeback special, even though, of course, we said that it aired in December of uh, 1968. It all was born in June of 1968. And so that was the, the little bit of a conversation about Singer Presents Elvis and that TV special and how it changed Elvis's career and relaunched it for the next phase and how important it was for the movie and changed music forever. Yeah. Uh, MTV unplugged. I remember when unplugged first started coming on, I was like, this looks an awful lot like the sit down part in the 68 special <laughs> and Rolling Stone and magazines in the eighties, when they were doing unplugged, they acknowledged this was inspired by Elvis Presley's TV special. The moment that, you know, the musicians sit down and just tell stories and do acoustic versions of their hits. So Something else Elvis created. And ultimately led to the famous Jeff Lewis and Friends after parties. Yes, yes. It had never <laughs> happened before where right. musicians sat around drinking, singing songs. That had never actually happened. Brand new. And, you know, Elvis, of course, didn't drink and uh, <laughs> didn't have uh, really any friends that could play guitar or sing. And Jerry Schilling has told me that, that he said he was standing next to Elvis one time. They were all singing and Elvis was like, Jerry, just don't, just don't, just don't, (laughs) don't sing. So so that's the 68 special. And uh, if you, uh, if if you're like me and you're all talked out, I think it's, uh, it's time to take a quick break and come back and talk about a date with Elvis. We're not done talking. Singer presents Elvis, starring Elvis Presley in his first TV special, his first personal performance on TV in nearly 10 years. Brought to you by Singer, maker of the world's finest sewing machines and other fine products for home and industry. What's new for tomorrow is at Singer Today. Tupelo Tom and Big Lou back, still talking, and this time talking about a date with Elvis. And Jeff, this is the section where we look back in the history books and we figure out what was going on in the life of Elvis Presley in June. Uh, And uh, there's a few little stories about the month of June with Elvis. On June 5th in 1956, he was on the Milton Berle show and he sang Hound Dog. And this was the 
one he sang without the guitar on and he was doing the full movements that heads were exploding of parents all over the country the night he was on the Milton Berle show doing this hound dog. And Tom, have you ever talked to anybody? I haven't. I'd love to. Uh, people email us if, if you were there. I'd love to talk to somebody who was watching that, having no idea what was about to happen, and get their reaction and go, yeah. I remember I was sitting there, you know, it's kind of like knowing where you were when Kennedy was assassinated, when the space shuttle exploded, or when Elvis died, whatever. Where were you when that happened, and do you remember it? I'd love to to talk to somebody who uh, remembers that. I remember the the story that I've heard when he was on Ed Sullivan that Bruce Springsteen realized at that moment as a, as a small child watching it, that he was going to play guitar. Wow. <laughs> that that was the moment that that happened for him. But yeah, this, this hound dog and Milton Berle, this was the one, like I said, that everybody freaked out about. So that was June 5th on July 1st, Elvis is on the Steve Allen show. And this is the version that they put him in the white tie and tails mm. and had him sing to a basset hound. And Elvis said he had never been so humiliated. He he felt embarrassed by what they were doing to him. It was the next day on July 2nd that he recorded Hound Dog. And all the fury that he had from how he had been treated the night before came out in the recording of, of Hound Dog. Well, and he hadn't done TV um, when he did the 68 since the Sinatra show. And apparently a large part of that was he was still angry about the Steve Allen uh, TV appearance. Yeah. He was not a fan of Steve Allen after that uh, and how he was treated. Um, It's an interesting thing because uh, what he was doing on TV is what he had been doing in concerts and in days before social media, I guess not a lot of people knew about that Mm. and it kind of freaked him out a little bit. (laughs) Uh, Another date in June, it was June 10th, 1958 when Elvis had his last recording session and it was at RCA studio B and he was in, uh, in, in his army uniform, mm. he was out on leave and, uh, they got him a recording session at studio B, uh, there in Nashville in, in June. And he recorded some songs that would be released over the next year and a half, two years that would keep him on the charts. So that night he did, uh, he recorded, I need your love tonight, a big hunk of love. Ain't that loving you, baby. Uh, now and then there's a fool such as I, and at 2 a.m. in the morning on the next day, he recorded I Got Stung. So a lot of those songs, songs that were parceled out over the next year and a half in Colonel Parker's wisdom to keep Elvis with new music on the charts while he was over in Germany. Wow, what a brilliant move, you know, by the Colonel. I mean, like you said, love and hate relationship, right? Yeah, keeps them on the charts. If you've never heard it, it's still brand new. And all those songs were brand new every time they would come out every few months. Wow. Elvis stayed on the charts. Can you imagine, though, being like a Bobby Darren or Pat Boone going, hey, you know, I'd like a chance to have a hit song. And Elvis didn't even hear. And he's still on the chart. He's in Germany in the army. Give me a physical break. Come on. Yeah. He's driving a tank. And I'm number three behind Elvis. Uh, It was uh, also in the month of June uh, that three... Elvis movies opened, uh, 1961 in June, Wild in the Country, which was his seventh movie opened. Uh, a few years later, in June of 64, Viva Las Vegas, his 15th movie opened. And in 68, from his 15th movie, he went four years later to his 27th movie, 
And that was Speedway hmm. opened in, in June. So Speedway, like we said earlier, Speedway was in the theaters when Elvis was uh, in Burbank working on the uh, 68 comeback special. Has there been a movie that had as much chemistry between a male and a female as Viva Las Vegas with Anne Margaret and Elvis Presley? That was, uh, that was, that was a lot of chemistry. <laughs> that was chemistry. Two of the most beautiful people on the planet in the same film. Well, yeah. And you can always learn new things. As I discovered recently, the Anne-Margaret thread runs through the tapestry of Elvis's story. Anne-Margaret is on the cover of TV Guide the week that Elvis does the 68 comeback special. Wow. But in 1973, when Elvis's Aloha special airs in the U.S., you know, it doesn't air live in January like it does in the world because of Super Bowl Seven. It was in April of 73 when it finally aired in the u.s and do you know what followed it on nbc that night it has to be an ann margaret something it was an ann margaret music special it was a night of, of two specials there you go <laughs> sometimes two uh two stars crisscross paths like the two of us we yes, just keep exactly. crossing paths so those are your movies from june and a couple of concerts to talk about in june uh it was june 10th 1972 the recording of Madison Square Garden happened, even though the cover was not from that concert. And the reason that cover is not from that concert is because those were already printed up, waiting for a piece of plastic to be put inside called an LP. And that was in the record stores just about seven or eight days later after the Madison Square Garden concert, June 10th, 1972. That was their version of streaming, Jeff. Right. Was basically getting a record out into the stores complete, uh, in seven, eight days. Having the album artwork done, everything done. That's Colonel Parker. That's Colonel Parker again. Slide the vinyl in. Yep, just slide it in there. And then, of course, June 26th is the last concert, Market Square Arena, June 26th, 1977. The one that we look at with both sadness and fondness, I think, um, knowing what's coming up in a couple of months, knowing he's not going to be with us much longer, knowing his health is in decline, but yet that voice. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of people, uh, a lot of new Elvis fans mistake the video, like the video from the end of uh, the Elvis movie where Austin Butler kind of morphs into Elvis, uh, that that is in fact the market square arena, the last concert, but that is not, that was from, you know, an earlier that that was from the, the CBS TV shoot, uh, from a, from a month or so earlier. So Really, I don't. I don't know that I've even seen any video from Market Square Arena, though I don't think I've really ever wanted to look for it either. So, right. Alex was kind enough to put together a an episode where I got to ask Baz that question, and um, I know it's a controversial time in Elvis's life, but it still, to me, is the most humanizing part uh, that that connects me with Elvis, uh, that made him human. Um, you understood his pain. It was almost like a sacrifice for all of us, uh, his life. And, uh, but it, it, it reminded us all that the one thing that never left Elvis Presley was that incredible voice. Yeah. And there's a smile he does there in that sequence that he looks up like, you know, did you see what I did there? Yes. Did you see that? And that was when the pleasure happened. And, you know, Jerry Schilling has told me he lived for that hour on stage. Mm. He made it through the other 23 hours to get to that hour on stage. Everything else was about that. Wow. Some more dates with Elvis. Birthdays. 
Birthdays. You don't have another birthday in June, do you, Jeff? I do not. I think I think Cody's birthday apparently is still going on, so we can say happy birthday, Cody, down at <laughs> Exactly. Uh, June 1st, Pat Boone, friend of Elvis, is having a birthday. He will turn 89. Wow. And I got to interview him uh, last Elvis week, or it might have been birthday. I can't remember. They all run together. Wonderful guy. Very smart. Very funny. Uh, still has it, you know, uh, good friends with Elvis and they had that feud, that mock feud in the fifties when they were going back and forth on the charts, but has great stories to tell about, uh, about Elvis. So if you ever get a chance to see Pat Boone, like I said, great storyteller, uh, on June 3rd, one of my heroes, Homer Lewis Randolph, the third known as boots Randolph, mm. the sax player. That was uh, one of the great studio musicians in Nashville history in the fifties and sixties. Uh, with Floyd Kramer and Chet Atkins and then played on those early 60s Elvis sessions. And uh, when I was in sixth grade being asked what instrument I wanted to play in marching band, um, I wanted to play, of course, trumpet. And uh, my mother reminded me that I loved Boots Randolph records. uh, And I said, well, doesn't he play the trumpet? Because I was in sixth grade. I didn't know. (laughs) Uh, And she said, no, he plays the saxophone. And I'm like, well, I want to play that. And you used to live right above his old bar there in Nashville. I live right across the street. I was right across the street from uh, from from Boots Old Bar. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of cool. I and I have on my wall. I'm looking at it now. I have a photo. Um, and Alex, remind me take a picture of this, and we'll post it on our little website where we put our little artifacts. Um, in the '70s, I was such a fanatical fan. I was in jazz band. We would play contemporary music, you know, like we played Day Tripper. <laughs> Nothing better than a eighth grade version of Day Tripper by a bunch of eighth graders. Um, but I played saxophone, and we did in the mood. We did Glenn Miller songs, all kinds of stuff. But I was a sax player all through uh, seventh to twelfth grade. Just absolutely loved playing sax. And recently, a year or so ago, got uh, Lisa got me a saxophone, and I picked it back up and picked it right back up right where I left off uh, being moderate. It's it's something I need to work on. I, I realize at these Elvis festivals that everybody brings their A game. And I'm like, you know, I've got a weapon in my quiver mm-hmm. as Blackhawk. I've got a weapon in my quiver that no one else has. I can play saxophone. There you go. And it, the best I know, and I better not start, I don't think Dean Z can play <laughs> <Right>. saxophone. So, <laughs> Dean Z, take my saxophone, you know? Uh, and so I'm going to... Well, I'm going to work on that, and I'm going to be ready at one of these Jeff Lewis uh, after parties to to be back with my with my saxophone. Real quick, talking about uh, Nashville and and horn playing, I think that's the subject we're really invested in right now. Yes, my first trip to Nashville, um, I, I was a I was an athlete in school, and and the choir teacher in high school said wanted me to to be in the choir my junior and senior year, but I didn't want to. She said, if you will join choir. This is right when Graceland opened. We will do a contest in Nashville. We will go to Graceland if you'll do it. And so I did. So that's how I got to go to Graceland the first time. We did not have a tuba player. And in order to be in this contest that the band was in, it was at the Grand Ole Opry. I had to put on a band uniform and hold a tuba and pretend like I was playing. (laughs) So that's a story that people will live with now and tell their grandkids uh, you, so you're playing air tuba I was, I was i was the first air tuba player in the history of man i think i can safely say that and i can just see the the contest judges going i really can't hear that tuba <laughs> right. um 
um papa mau mau just does not work when the tuba's not playing it just uh doesn't relay that i mean i did the whole breathing thing the cheeks blowing out the whole bit i mean i i I committed i was method total method that was that's that's you went like you went brando on that tuba (laughs) (laughs) oh well get back to the dates i was gonna say palate cleanser to get that image out of our minds now let's go to another birthday born uh june 17th 1893 in fulton mississippi where her son was born minnie may presley wow that's right minnie may presley grandma grandma presley um widow of jesse presley um who actually died in 1976 not a lot of people Think about that. Elvis's grandfather died in 76. Wow. Yeah, isn't that something? Uh, but Minnie Mae survived them all. Uh, survived her grandson and her son and her husband, who died in 76. 90 years old and uh, still there at Graceland up in the Meditation Garden. And uh, Elvis had a huge love of Minnie Mae, as did Lisa. The whole family uh, respected uh, Minnie Mae. And pretty much she, after Gladys was gone, Minnie Mae ran that house. And Jerry said, you you paid attention to what Miss Minnie said. Do we know where the nickname Dodger came from? Uh, supposedly, he was throwing something. And I, I, I'm sure there are always people out there screaming in their radios what he was throwing. But I can't remember uh, what he was throwing. He was throwing something, and she kept dodging it. And so he started calling her Dodger. That's great. Yeah. Uh, she was the one, I think, the first time I saw the movie, when I knew nothing about the, the new Elvis movie, I think the moment I fell in love with the movie was the moment that Gladys got her close up. I'm not Gladys. Minnie Mae got her close up and had the cat eye glasses on and she was throwing the football. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? They got, they got Minnie Mae, right? Those are exactly Minnie Mae's glasses. <laughs> um, just like they got Billy Goldenberg, the music director I was talking about earlier. They got him right. How he looked in 68. Bass yeah. did some research that unless you really are up on how Billy Goldenberg looked or Minnie Mae, you don't even understand how accurate uh, Baz got a lot of things in this film. He kind of went Agent Elvis on us. Just to, he, huh? he totally did. <laughs> Minnie Mae uh, passed away, like I said, in 1980. Uh, and there is one more birthday I want to talk about in the month of June. And uh, this is, I, I think, interesting. Um, a birthday. June 26th, the day of Elvis's last concert, is the birthday in 1909 of Colonel Parker. Wow. Yeah. And how do we analyze that? I was I don't I don't I was I was somewhat stunned by the silence following that. Uh I don't it's kind of uh maybe that's maybe that's a whole podcast in and of itself. I was I was gonna say that was the moment we were leaving for the audience listening in to go yeah. woo. <laughs> right. So we had our woo moment there. But Colonel Parker's birthday, uh many Many, not many, may many stories of the origin of who exactly Colonel Tom Parker is and what his name is. And uh, like you said, I think that make a note, Alex, that will be the subject of a future podcast when we've run out of dates <laughs> next June, when we don't have anything else that happened in the life of Elvis in June, other than mentioning again, it's Boots Randolph's birthday. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do an in-depth version of who was Colonel Tom Parker. And you know what's sad is that we literally will never know because there's nobody left to tell that story Yeah, of who Colonel Parker really was, the origin, the truth. Uh, it, it, it's pretty fascinating. We'll never know. He liked the mystery, the snowman. You know what? And that that's the way Colonel would want it. 
because the snowman continues snowing on people. He does. Right? We just we just don't know. All right, that is our date with Elvis. And coming up, as we record this, Jeff, we're just a few days since the Illinois Festival happened. And I don't know about you, but that was a wild few days in Collinsville, Illinois. Wow. <laughs> we're going to talk about that coming back and, and give a quick preview of Arkansas and Tupelo, festivals that are coming up. We'll be back with the wow review, says Jeff Lewis. <laughs> Jeff Lewis of the Talkin' Podcast says, wow. Wow. We'll talk about that coming up after this. Wow. Calling all Elvis fans. ATA Festivals is bringing you 10 amazing Elvis festivals throughout the United States in 2023 that are fully licensed and endorsed by Elvis Presley Enterprises. Come see world-class Elvis tribute artists celebrate the legacy of the king of rock and roll in multiple production shows over the course of each festival. To find out where you can see us next, visit us online at atafestivals.com. Tupelo Tom and Big Lou still talking. Amazingly enough, if you haven't hit skip, we appreciate that. Um, and I don't know who skip is, but don't hit him. It, every bit of this is magic and gold. We now enter the portion of the program where we review what's happened in the past and try to correct all the wrongs. <laughs> and, and I tell you what, Jeff, I, there have been a lot of festivals I've been a part of, but the Collinsville Festival, they're just across the river from uh, St. Louis. That was, a, that was a heck of a good time with a lot of great people. I said, Wow. And that was really, I know we sound like a broken record when we talk about these festivals. Man, this festival is the best ever. This festival is the best ever. And it does seem that every one we do, as the crowds get bigger and we learn more about the operation, both backstage, front of house, everything. But Illinois was a different animal altogether. Several years ago, I'd had the idea. I knew that it was a great population center. Uh, Bill Cherry's hometown. Uh, there are so many great people that come to our events that are from that region, <clears throat> but I never could find the right location. And then Bill said, you know, we do a show at this place. And I sicked Cody Dalenath on it. And I said, do your Cody thing. And he did. And the next thing you know, we show up and had almost 700 people at an afternoon show on Thursday. On a Thursday, yes. on a Thursday afternoon, and I believe that was the first time I asked, because it couldn't have been earlier, but I believe that was the first time I asked, how many of you have never been to an Elvis Festival show like this before? And Jeff, it was 75% of the audience. I couldn't believe it. And they didn't know what to expect, and that's why I wonder, so are these Elvis fans that didn't know about our world, are the Elvis fans that, that have become Elvis fans because of the movie? Uh, what is going on? And and it was unbelievable. And then that night we had even more people. And then it led into Friday, even more people in the afternoon. It kept build. Every show was bigger than the one before, except I do have to say the crowd did not grow between Saturday afternoon and Saturday night because Saturday <laughs> afternoon was sold out. 1,300 people Saturday afternoon and 1,300 people Saturday night. Yeah. And I, I have to compliment you and Cote on on the format. I loved the themes of the shows. Uh, you had different themes, uh, hitting Elvis in Vegas in different years, uh, the Elvis story, which I think could tour around the country, mm -hmm. which is uh, is uh, is Cote and Ben and and Cully, Michael Culifer, 
uh, telling the Elvis story with wonderful video screens that have been edited by our producer, Alex Mitchell. That was the premiere of our LED screen. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yes. It was. We had live video on the side screens, just like you see at a Paul McCartney concert, except it didn't have except it wasn't Paul McCartney. It was us. Well, I knew what was coming. I was blown away. Well, and that was the thing. One of the things was sitting backstage. You couldn't see the side screens. So you were losing a lot of the effect. And when you were on stage, you, you forgot that your, your face is really big on the screen next to you. So I want to apologize to all those people in Illinois that uh, saw, you know, what they saw on the, on the screens, but it was amazing. But what I wanted to compliment you and code on, besides the screens, was the kickoff show. What a brilliant idea. And I know it's expensive to do this as a producer myself. You have your first show on Thursday afternoon, a preview show of really almost every guy that's going to be there all weekend coming out and doing two or three songs. Bang, 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 just like that. They introduce the next guy. Bang, 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 two or three songs. Boom, next guy, next guy. And they get to see everybody that's going to be there all weekend and it's the best promo for we got to come back and see this exactly and thank god they did and i want to compliment and you and i got to see it because we were backstage and we'll talk about the elvis story here in a second too we got to do a a private podcast together while we watched that show from the side of the stage yeah uh we have the best volunteers uh the best team the best staff of any organization they they Love each other. They work together. Jeannie, Aaron, Steve, Rich. I mean, the list goes on and on. Faye, I know I'm forgetting people. Candy. Chris. uh, Yeah. Uh, All these incredible people that work so hard for no pay, (laughs) by the way. And we had learned a few lessons from festivals prior to this. And we get to Illinois with our, by far, the most attendance we've ever had. And it ran so smooth yeah and then backstage we have david allen we have alex we have chris you know cody cully all these guys running sound and everything it was like watching something that we tour the country with on a weekly basis keith with our production shocking all productions and it was wonderful watching alex the the job you did our producer here with the videos was phenomenal because that that introduced a whole new segment to our festival's that was not easy. And, and to watch you work your magic back there was incredible. I was sitting next to Alex as he was cutting and pasting items that, Jeff, it would have taken us half an hour to figure out how to turn <laughs> right. on his computer. And I'm just sitting there quietly watching him slide these things around while he's also running the screen that's, you know, up on stage. And then Bill and I don't want to forget Bill and Rosie too, Strauss. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bill does that camera work yeah. that we saw on the side screens um and and it was just incredible uh the shows the elvis story now you know i've done things at my festival i you know did elvis vision where we covered elvis's tv career we've covered concerts we've done one song from every movie he did we you you try to rewrite or recreate different things about elvis's life but the elvis story was just a simple way of looking at his entire career by three performers. Mm -hmm. And you and I were just sitting there listening to the audio that Cody had put together, the video that Alex had put together and watching, you know, of course, Ben Thompson is an ultimate winner and phenomenal talent. Michael Culifer is the best sound guy I've ever worked with, but he's also an unbelievable performer. He's so charismatic. He's earned his craft, you know, playing, 
a thousand gigs in his lifetime, you know, working rooms with 10 people to a thousand people. And then of course, Cody Dale Nath, who should have already won the ultimate and hopefully will one day, uh, my friend and co-producer on this event and ETA festivals, um, producer knocked it out of the park and the ending when him and Ben came out and sang my way together. Oh yeah. Yeah. To summarize the show. It, it was just incredible. And then you talk about the fans. It wasn't just a lot of people, which is the most we've ever had by far. The enthusiasm of the fan base. And Alex did something just kind of spontaneous. The afternoon show, as we're getting ready, we always like to have music while people come in. And you and I are backstage. We hear the song YMCA come on. You can can find this video on Facebook. I go, what is that noise? And we walk out front and we see Steve and Rich and... I think Bill was all there and the band is filming the audience and the audience is all standing up singing this YMCA song going crazy. And that just led into our show, which got even louder and crazier. It, it was just, it was electric. It it shows why, you know, warming up the audience is so important because it, it just went from 10,000 feet to 50,000 feet the minute the show started. And I mean, and, and just kept on. Yeah, St. Louis, like you said, Bill's hometown, he called it, uh, I think he changed the name for that weekend <laughs> to Billville. It's Billville now. Um, that might be a permanent change. I'm not sure. It is, yeah. I lived in St. Louis uh, for 10 years. Driving into St. Louis, Jeff, for this festival, I realized I had not driven back into St. Louis in 27 years. And I spent 10 years there mm. uh, on KDNL television and on The Point and on KC Radio with people. And three of my my friends who's still there in the market came to visit me on on each of, of the days. And uh, they all were like, well, of course you're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> because my producer from radio back in the 90s, Karen, uh, came in and she said, oh, my gosh, every time you had an opportunity, we were doing something Elvis related on our show. <laughs> of course you're doing this. And then she saw the, the graphic on screen for the podcast and she went, of course course you're doing an elvis podcast and i got my little uh moment of fame from our podcast for the first time when the, a friend of yours that, that plays in the band what was his name uh tom yeah tom goes oh you're big lou that's <laughs> <laughs> yes i am of course i was wearing a shirt that said big lou on it not that i'm tacky or anything uh, Tom Rogers, uh, a, a TV guy there in St. Louis and a musician himself, he had just left a gig. He had gotten finished with a gig Saturday afternoon. They have a thing in St. Louis, Jeff, that might be worth moving there for. It's called day drinking. And they have a lot of bars with outdoor patios. And uh, from one to five o'clock, uh, he was there with his rock band doing like old oldies uh, and made a good bit of change. Uh, for playing drums for four hours out at a at a outdoor uh, beer garden <laughs> there in St. Louis. So well, the the shows were were fantastic. One of the most popular shows was the Ultimates, where we had the incredible Dean Z. We've talked about him a lot, of course. Bill Cherry from the area, and Ben Thompson and David Lee. And I loved the idea, Alex. I don't know if it was you or if it was Cody that came up with this. Cody has finished, I think, third, third, second, <laughs> you know, that, and uh, he kicked the show off and they showed the video of him getting third place, third place, second place, second, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. And Cody takes it with a, the humor he should and, and the humility that he does and then goes out and just kills it. 
and puts on an ultimate performance. Yeah. And then they showed when Bill won the ultimate, when Dean won the ultimate, when David won the ultimate. And I loved what you said at the end of the show when you said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the ultimates and Cody Downeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say that with love. Absolutely. I say that. Though I think the audience did not take it that way, but, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's everybody booed because everybody agrees that that he's an ultimate uh, in waiting, hopefully. But uh, the show was great. Um, the performers were great. They brought everything as they always do. Uh, Change of Habit was our band. Wow, they killed oh, it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Jeff, in this business, that's the first time I've ever worked with Change of Habit. Really? Joe and I were, were talking and I was like, I've, I've never worked with you guys, I don't think. And he says, I, I don't think you have. And yeah, I've never have. We had a great time with them. They just did a fantastic job. They were so professional. They're such great guys and girls and uh, really brought everything to the table and exceeded our expectations. So it was, it was something, it was an experience I'll never forget. It'll sell out next year. We're just getting started. And we are returning. Yes, we are returning. We are returning. We're in uh, in, in June next year. Yes. Uh, so go to the uh, go to the etafestivals.com or illinoiselvisfestival.com website to find out all the details. And Jeff, one last thing about Collinsville. I know you were looking forward to it. And I just have to ask, did you get a chance to go see the Brooks Ketchup Bottle Water Tower? I did. And it looked the exact same as the last time I saw it when I drove by. And you got to uh, do a remote there that helped um, restore that. And also, as cliche as it sounds, as cheesy as it sounds, to all the people that came to this special event, and I think this is, uh, like I said, our biggest to date, Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Elvis, for giving us the opportunity. And thank you to the fans for spending their hard-earned money and and allowing us, again, cliche and cheesy, you are allowing us to live this silly dream life of singing songs by Elvis Presley and performing for you. And the appreciation you showed, the enthusiasm was off the charts. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, and actually, strangely, you had mentioned that because actually uh, Tupelo Cliché and Big Cheesy was going to be the name of this podcast. <laughs> it was. We talked it was, about we it. Had, we, would, we, uh, we had workshopped that one. It didn't pass the focus groups. Um, for me, first night there, I had to go to Emos Pizza. If there's anybody from Emos listening in, if you're on the corporate level, uh, we would love to accept a sponsorship from Emos Pizza for next year. It was great. And I don't I didn't get a chance to go to Ted Drew's for the concretes where they serve it to you upside down. But Alex, tell Jeff what you saw at the airport. The technology that has happened in St. Louis since I was there in the 90s flying TWA. Jeff, I'm blown away by the technology of St. Louis. What did you see, Alex, at the airport? The St. Louis airport features a Ted Drew's robotic automated <laughs> vending machine. <laughs> Yes. AI has come to Ted Drews. I've got one word. Terminator uh, <laughs> is coming. Now, I did I, one thing I did learn about the St. Louis airport. Uh, you know, they renovated it and built onto it. Apparently, luggage claim is actually somewhere in Minnesota. It's not actually at the St. Louis airport because the time I finally got there, I'd lost 47 pounds. It's in Florissant. The baggage yes. claim is in Florissant. Yeah, like 20 miles away. That was also the airport back in the day. It still looked the same when I was there. I'm sure it's all changed. That was the uh, planes, trains, and automobiles airport. Oh, I didn't know that. Where uh, where Steve Martin uh, lost the uh, rental car and had the scene with Edie McClurg at the <laughs> checkout counter 
uh, right there. And when he comes out and almost gets hit by the car, that was all right there. I walked through that door every time I would go to the airport in St. Louis um, to fly on the weekends. Well, now I know that. It's why, Jeff, to this day, I, I'm not flying anymore after being a two million miler on TWA and a million miler on Delta. I'm done. <laughs> Drive time. I'll, 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 I'll see you boys down the road. I'll, you know, I'm, I'm on the road, but, uh, I loved, uh, Alex sent me that Ted Drews thing. And he said, the only thing that was bad about it was they didn't serve it upside down. Yeah. You'd think the technology would work it out where they could serve it upside down. That's like the, the flourish at the end of the dance. You have to do the bow. I mean, you've got to flip it upside down. The flourish at the end of the dance. I'm going to use that from now on for everything. Thank you. Tupelo cliche and big cheesy talking, uh, Coming up, we're going to take a quick break because we have to, I'm kind of hungry now for Ted Drews and Emos. Uh, We're going to take a break. We'll do a quick preview of what's coming to Arkansas uh, during this month and also a quick look at Tupelo. Coming up. Arkansas Elvis Festival is happening May 18th through the 20th in Jonesboro. Starring Bill Cherry, Ben Thompson, David Lee, and 10 other world-class tribute artists all paying tribute to the legacy of the king of rock and roll. This event is officially licensed and endorsed by Graceland and the estate of Elvis Presley. For more information and to purchase tickets, visit www.arkansaselvisfestival.com or call 352-789-7269. Tupelo, Tom, and Big Lou still talking and uh, looking into the future now, Jeff, looking into our crystal balls, as they would say in the business, and uh, looking at what is going to be happening at Elvis Festivals coming up just down the road from perhaps where people are listening to this show right now. Uh, Jonesboro, Arkansas. I can't wait. It's going to be our Arkansas Elvis Festival. Very excited about that. One of the highlights of Arkansas will be two of our headliners, Two young guns. We've talked about Finley Watkins before. And Braxton Sykes, a young man who is a great guitar player, singer. He's a great athlete. And we've watched him grow in this business and will continue to grow in this business. And talk about Finley. One thing about Collinsville that was really cool that we didn't mention, Finley was heavily featured in the St. Louis Mm Post-Dispatch. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of great pictures. So if you get a chance to go online and, and look at uh, the newspaper there, um, and, and he was not just because he was young, but because of how talented he was. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and him and Braxton are going to be two of our headliners, and, and so if you want to see the future of the Elvis Tribute Artist world, uh, definitely come to Arkansas. And, of course, we have Bill Cherry, Cody, of course, David Lee, Ben Thompson, Cliff Wright, Rodney Pennington, Michael Culley, color for our producer, Alex Mitchell. Yay. Joseph Hall from America's Got Talent. Yeah. Uh, Moses Snow. And, of course, Tupelo Tom and Big Lou. We will be there signing autographs for hours and hours for all of you podcast fans. And, and by the way, reminding everyone, they are not mandatory. You don't have to stand there while we sign. But we'll we'll chase you into the parking lot and sign. If you want to mail in your memorabilia, we'll sign it and bring it. That's right. Uh, I will not sign jocks. Um, I, I use the Mac Davis rule on that. Uh, May 18th through May 20th, right there in Jonesboro, Arkansas. And for me, this is exciting because when I was a kid growing up watching studio wrestling, 
on uh, WHBQ with my uh, broadcast hero, Lance Russell, uh, Jonesboro was one of the places that they always wrestled like during the week. They would be Friday night. They'd be in uh, in Tupelo. Saturday, they'd be in Memphis on TV. Monday night at the Mid-South Coliseum and Tuesday night in Jonesboro, Arkansas. So I'm very excited to be in Jonesboro. So if you're lucky, you can go to an Elvis Chibi Artist Festival and a wrestling match will break out. It could happen. It could happen. It would be one of the great um, wrestling matches of all time. Uh, wigs would fly, let me tell you. <laughs> On stage and in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> and another Elvis Festival coming soon to a theater near you, especially if you're in Tupelo, Mississippi, is the legendary Tupelo Elvis Festival. That's right. It's that time of year again. Uh, we're talking about it in the, this episode. It's coming up in uh, the second weekend of June, the Tupelo Elvis Festival. 25th anniversary, Jeff, of the Tupelo Elvis Festival. It, it has become my second home. I love the people there. Um, obviously, Charlie, Debbie, everybody that has has been so kind to me. I love going to Tupelo. I remember uh, the first time I was ever in Tupelo, there was an antique guitar store on Main Street. Mm-hmm. It's no longer there, sadly. And I was on the road with my band, the Hillbilly Bastards. Pardon my French. No, Hillbilly's okay, Jeff. You can <laughs> okay, say Hillbilly. good. Uh, we okay. were playing at LSU or something. I didn't know where we were going uh, on the tour. And Dean Hall, who was our guitar player and singer and founder, was so deaf. We were in the shop and I hear this screeching and squealing (laughs) and I look down and Dean is standing on the tail of a cat (laughs) and he didn't hear a thing. And I literally had to shove him off the cat. That was my first Tupelo experience. Needless to say, the experiences have gotten much better. I went to the Tupelo Elvis festival. I think the second year or third year, let me do the math here. One, two, three, I guess third year. Cause it was 2013. And I, everybody been telling me, you gotta go to Tupelo. You gotta go to Tupelo. And that's when they had it at the Lyric theater. And I remember the first night standing there with Cliff Wright and saying, I will never miss another Tupelo Elvis festival. And of course it has since moved to the big arena, bank corp arena. Yeah. You haven't been to um, a festival until you go to Tupelo. Elvis can only be born in one place. That's Tupelo, Mississippi. That's right. And I have been a part of it since the ETA contest started. I was a judge the first couple of years and then started hosting. Uh, And a lot of these guys that have come through Tupelo and have won Tupelo, if they didn't win the year they won Tupelo, they have since won the ultimate. Uh, Tupelo has an incredible record, almost half. I think maybe it is half of the ultimates have either the year they won Tupelo, won the ultimate, or did it in a subsequent year, but Tupelo's got a way of, of, of picking the winner. Uh, ultimate champions, Ben Thompson will be there and Bill Cherry and Brandon Bennett and Vic Trevino will be there. Cody Ray Slaughter will be there. David Lee, an ultimate. See what I mean about Jay Dupuy. All these ultimate champions that have won Tupelo will be there. Alex will be there, who is a Tupelo champion. Brooke Wright, Cody will be there, who's a Tupelo champion. Nick Perkins, and then special guests, including Dean Z. And Pat Dunn, an ultimate champion, will be in there. He hadn't hadn't won Tupelo, but we're introducing Pat Dunn to Tupelo again. He was here last year. He was one of my conversations. He had such a great time. And Jeff, tell everybody who the band's going to be for for. And hopefully, I didn't leave anybody out. The band will be none other than TIC, my friend Jason Russo's band out of Australia. They're fantastic. They are Elvis fanatics. 
uh, Jason was friends with Ronnie Tut, and they work hard at the craft, all the guys and girls in the group. What they bring to the table is something special, and they they were part of the uh, virtual um, Tupelo Elvis Festival during COVID. They were the band, and, and uh, they're going to be there. They're making their premiere at the Tupelo Elvis Festival. So everything about Tupelo is fun. Tom, that's where I met you. I remember there's a video out there of I, when I sang Heard at the Lyric Theater, and you were the MC, and that's where I met your lovely wife, Lisa. And she came over to me and said one of the nicest things anybody's ever said to me. She goes, you know, told me who she was, and she said... Can you move your car? Yeah, I can do <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Will, I'm sorry. Will you, will you hold my sandwich? <laughs> and then she says, uh, she says, I have found my, my favorite ETA, so I'll never forget that. Yeah. And, of course, any time, any chance I get to spend with Charlie Watson, I, I love that opportunity with Debbie and everybody. So I I feel like I'm going back home with Tupelo and Tom. I'm I'm going to brag on you. You don't know this is coming. Oh, but when you go to see Tupelo, you're such a major fixture of that festival, just like you are during Elvis Week. And I think that's where uh, you really get separated from the rest of us as an MC. Uh, and the genius of Tom Brown is really on display during Tupelo. And I mean that I'm not just being kind and saying that cause we're on a podcast. I mean, that as your friend and as a oh, fan. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Well, that's very nice. It, it was always interesting for me, uh, when I first started doing this and, and especially hosting when we started the lyric, cause I told this story when we used to do it, the lyric was the building I walked into, uh, in 1976 when I was 16 years old and got my very first job in showbiz. Uh, as a projectionist and a house manager at the movie theaters. Can, can you believe they would hire a 16-year-old at the time? That's good. I worked uh, seven days a week during the summer and the weekends uh, during school from 16 on, uh, almost through second year of college, I think, there at all the movie theaters in Tupelo. So the lyric was always very special to me. And it's Tupelo. It's my hometown. It was, it was interesting for me to always come home for that week. Um, when I was at Turner, I would take a week's vacation to get off and come spend it in Tupelo and see my mom who's still here. And I'll see her. I see her all the time. I live here now. So, you know, it's, it's, it's fun being home now and being a part of this, of the town all year long and to see the excitement. Cause I'll tell you though, we miss the intimacy of the lyric theater and knowing that that was a movie theater when Elvis was a kid and he would go there to movies though. We miss that intimacy. The need for the arena is such that now it enables people from the local community to become a part of our Elvis family because we sold out the lyric amongst Elvis people, almost all from out of town. Mm -hmm. And the locals never had a chance. The tickets were gone by February if we were at the lyric. So the Elvis festival came and went in June. They never even had an opportunity to see it if they wanted to, because the tickets had sold out so early. So now being in the arena, that's the beauty of it is it's such a part now of the Tupelo story that that locals can can go to it and understand what's happening there. So it's 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 important. We'll do. Uh, we have some great guests coming for conversations that I can't talk about now. But by the time this is released, it might be on the website. But we've got some great conversations that'll be happening. Uh, and just there's always surprises. There's always neat things happening. Everything kicks off on opening night uh, with a big a gala performance and and uh, an after party at the Tupelo Cotton Mill. So that's just a, a different thing that happens. There's a, a youth day competition for the young people. There's going to be a tribute artist showcase on Thursday afternoon on the 8th. 
uh, with all of the uh, the, the contestants, uh, also with Alex and Nick Perkins headlining. And so just a lot of great shows and the way they put it together is just going to be fun. It'll be great to have TIC there this year in person as opposed to virtually. And so just so many things uh, going on. TupeloElvisFestival.com for all the details. Lucia and the team there. It's, you know, Jeff, it's only like three blocks from my house, so I have to be a part of it. <laughs> and you get to go to, uh, you're on the board of the birthplace. The birthplace has grown so much and they continue to add to that experience. Yeah. Tupelo has grown so much. There's so many cool things happening uh, on downtown and on Main Street. So it's just a, a fun week with a lot of stuff to do all day and all night. I think the after parties may already be sold out, but if not, be sure and join us at the after parties at the Silver Moon Club uh, with Charlie Watson on hand there. So um, can't wait for Tupelo. Can't wait to be in my second home there. And uh, Jeff, I will uh, get us the booth, uh, the Elvis booth at Johnny's. I'll meet you there when you there get you in go. town. I'll yep. be waiting on you with my RC Cola and the Johnny Burger. I'm in. All right. Well, Jeff, I think we've covered pretty much everything I can think of to cover for the month of June in this podcast version. And uh, I would think that uh, it might be uh, time. What What is that you like to say in Oklahoma when we're done with something? <laughs> Shut her down, boys. She's pumping mud. There you go. I've learned so much about refining uh, oil, crude oil. <laughs> really, a lot of people talk about Jeff and it's... it's uh, People might say somewhat crude, but it's crude oil. It's the world that he grew up with in in oil. That's right. You know, it really is. It's about refineries. Oklahoma Crude, one of the great oil movies with George C. Scott and Faye Dunaway. I suggest you check that out at your local library. Um, Jeff, I guess that's it. I'm I'm Tupelo Tom. And I'm Big Lou. And And we're we're done talking. talking. Were you doing yours in slow motion? I was. (laughs) Done talking. Done talking. New York. (laughs) <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode of Tupelo Tom and Big Lou Talkin', please visit us online at www.tupelotombiglutalkin.com and on Instagram and Twitter at Tupelo Tom Big Lou or drop us a line at Tupelo Tom Big Lou at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible by executive producers Jeff Lewis and Tom Brown, producer and editor Alex Mitchell. Technical advisor, Michael Cullifer. Promotions and marketing advisor, Cody Dayanath. And also in part by our sponsors and listeners like you. Do you have an Elvis-related event that you'd like featured on Tupelo Tom and Big Lou Talkin'? Email us at TupeloTomBigLou at gmail.com to find out more. You know, Tom, I don't know if anybody's still listening, but, uh, you know, you and I have a key to the Silver Moon. Yeah, that's right. I have mine, yeah. Sometimes I go in there during the week Ooh. when I'm here and I just rearrange stuff to see if Charlie notices. <laughs> well, he told me that he thinks it's haunted. I wonder if that's why. It, oh, that might be it. And talking about wrestling, we could re- recreate the concession stands match. I'm going to be Jerry the King then. And I'll be the guy that almost hits the popcorn machine that was brand new. No, wait, yeah, don't mess with the popcorn okay. machine. I'll see you in Tupelo, right. Arkansas. Right. By the way, your Johnny Burger, do you want cheese on your Johnny Burger or do you just want it with onions? Uh, cheese, no onions. Okay, cheese, no onions. Got it. Right, see you in Arkansas. By the way, if you find any meat in there, let them know they're not supposed to put meat in it. <laughs>